based on how you're feeling about life right now, your attitude, your, your health, your energy level, your overall sense of how you're doing, if you were a car, what vehicle would best describe you? Some are teasing. They're saying Ford. I can hear it. Um, you know, you, I don't know how many are feeling like a brand new Mercedes cruising down the road. You feeling like a brand new Cadillac. Yeah, it's like, no, no one's there. I don't think anyone, you know, for the younger generation, I don't think anyone's feeling like Lightning McQueen. Uh, if you don't know that, talk to me afterwards. Um, how about Herbie the Love Bug? <laughs> uh, sometimes we're feeling like the old Model T that can't really get started. <laughs> you know, this is just one way, one illustration to use to sense how we're doing. Because life is full of surprises. We all experience or will experience our share of bumps and bruises, of disappointments, of defeats, that leads to discouragement, and leads to despair. And here this morning, uh, the passage that we're going to look at is very insightful, helpful teaching from the Apostle Paul. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're, um, un- we need, need to understand a little bit of the background of this, especially it's in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, chapter 10, 11, and 12. And in this passage, Paul is giving uh, his argument as to why he's a genuine, real-deal apostle of Jesus. And he's got the influence of false apostles on the other side, at the Corinthian church. And so his defense, in light of the accusations of the false apostles, is here in this passage. And in it, he's given us the key, the key to facing all of life's surprises all of life's challenges, all of life's difficulties. We are going to consider this as the, uh, the title suggests. Here is what Paul has learned to be the best, capitals, the best, strength and conditioning program ever. Bar none. Okay? And it's got a twist to it that we have a hard time getting our minds wrapped around. So, all that we face in life is not for the faint of heart. And all too often, in dealing with problems of life, difficulties... And I'm not even mentioning persecution, really. Brendan already even touched on that in prayer time. Um, there's not a lot of persecution that we face. 
But that doesn't mean we uh, are skating free and have a nice, cool walk in the park throughout all of life. That's not the case. But all too often, we attempt to, based on our upbringing and our, our, our American dream, we always run to fix it ourselves, fix the problem ourselves. We want an answer now. We want a remedy now. Um, our patience isn't very uh, strong in this regard. And so, Paul encourages the believers at Corinth to, uh, point number one, agree to God's terms. Agree to God's terms. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and 8 to start with. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Okay, so right there is another uh, element of his defense against the false prophets. What was it? Well, he had received the surpassing great revelation from God. There's a, the Old Testament was already set, and now he was receiving revelation from the Lord Jesus. Yes, it's a miracle. But God is always communicated, and God's now communicating to his apostle Paul. And he has delivered a surpassing revelation, as he mentions here. But Paul, notice it, he's saying... Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that he received, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And so, here are what I believe are the terms that we have to understand in... in uh, coming into God's conditioning program of life. Yeah, it's, it's much like a gym. Uh, not many of us really want to sign up for going to the gym and working out, being in condition, being strong. Uh, we think, you know, that's just for the athletes or whatever. But life is bigger than this. It, life, all of us really are in this process in this uh, pattern, in this pathway of learning and growing throughout life, okay? And so, the terms are here. Letter A, what we have to avoid. He's really starting here, what we have to avoid. Listen, Paul is speaking as an apostle, as a servant of the Lord. And so, what he's saying here in this opening uh, verse is that the number one enemy of Christian ministry, the number one enemy of Christian service is pride. In order to keep him from exalting himself, there's pride, he was given a thorn in the flesh. Pride is very subtle. Typically, it's very subtle for all of us. Also, it's very deceptive. And, oh, by the way, as you know, uh, if you have little children at home, it's very stubborn. Yes, we blame it on the children. Not on the adults. Wrong. <laughs> it's everyone's problem. Everyone's, you're all dealing with it. I'm dealing with it. We're all dealing with this thing 
of pride. And then when pride surfaces, it shows itself as self-reliance. I can do this. I got this. I'll handle it. That's the, the flower, if you will, the blossom of pride's ugly, stubborn root. And pride creeps in and sneaks its way into everything, including the Apostle Paul. I mean, like he is the most godly man we know, right? Yeah? I mean, other than Jesus, it's like, here's, here's the Apostle Paul. Boom. Holy, righteous, godly in, in all things, yeah? But yet, it creeps in with Paul. It creeps in for me and you in everything we do. Hoping to gain some spotlight, hoping to gain some attention, some platform in which it can receive glory. So, we've got to avoid that. Just like Paul is saying here, um, he received a thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself, to keep pride from opening up and, and utilizing the opportunity. So letter B, is what do we have to acknowledge regarding the thorn in the flesh? What do we have to admit? Paul knew that he had been given the thorn. He, he somehow came to understand that. He understood he was given a thorn in the flesh. And we've already mentioned the purpose, to keep him from exalting himself. All you need to do is, if you're taking notes, jot down Job in the Old Testament. Job in the Old Testament. Same kind of story. Right? God allowed it. God allowed Satan to go after Job. God allows the thorn in the flesh to take place. God is is the ultimate cause of it. But, a messenger of Satan, it's mentioned there, you see that in verse, in verse 7, a messenger of Satan to torment me has, in a sense, hijacked, hijacked the thorn in the flesh to cause there to be a greater sense of temptation for sin. Temptation to fall and stumble. And so, because of that demon, that's really what it is. It's not Satan. It's a messenger of Satan, really, an angel of Satan. A demon. Taking advantage, hijacking the opportunity to cause Paul for uh, to face greater temptation. For potential stumbling because of the thorn in the flesh. Now, all of us, uh, if, if we studied um, anything in Second Corinthians, we come across this passage and we want to say, so what was his thorn in the flesh? We want to know. I mean, some of you may have heard, well, the thorn in the flesh was something with his eyesight. Uh, other things like that. Does the scripture tell us? Nope. It does not tell us. I find that very insightful and interesting. Why? Because now you read this 
I read it now in this day and age. And if, if they had explained specifically why Paul had the, what this thorn in the flesh was, I'd say, well, see, I still don't match up to Paul. No way. God in his great design, in his wisdom, withheld that from us. Why? Because of what he says here later on in this passage. Sickness. Distresses. Problems of life. And by the way, the idea of the, the, the term thorn, the Greek word used there is translated in one of two ways. Either as a splinter or a, get this, a stake. Like you're driving a stake in to put your big monster tent up. And you drive a stake into the ground. So that word has been in the New Testament translated both ways. A splinter or a stake. How many have had a stake driven into their leg or ankle or no one? How many have had a little splinter? Yes. And yes, the bigger the splinter, the more it hurts. The thorn in the flesh. So, with this understanding, here's the, the splinter, not so big, and here's the stake, big. So it's my understanding that all believers who are serving the Lord have their own thorn in the flesh with a similar arrangement of the demon because there can't be the spirit of a demon inside of you with the spirit of Christ, right? And that's not going to work. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The two can't be in the same home. Either you are a child of the devil, unsaved, unbeliever. Or you're a child of God. Spirit-filled, spirit residing within you. But I believe that those who here are... Yeah, this can, this uh, gets difficult knowing of things that you've been through. But God, using a thorn in, in your flesh, not to kick you, kick dirt in your anymore, but to help you to know of His grace. And always remember that very weakness the devil wants to use for his advantage. Okay? So, we need to learn a, the, the strength and conditioning program that God has is, number one, agree to His terms. Learn what to avoid. Learn what to acknowledge and admit. I've got this thorn in the flesh. I, there's a weakness that I'm dealing with. And then let us see what we have to activate. And all we're doing now is taking what we've already read and flipping it and saying, so if pride is my biggest problem, which it is, Pride is your biggest problem. Don't you think that um, Satan's your biggest problem? Your biggest problem is your own pride first. And Satan wants to utilize that. 
Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is not all-knowing. So don't go there. Have right thinking about who God is and what He does. And so we take the recognition of, you know what, my own stumbling block is myself, my pride. And so I need to know what to activate in my life to walk with God. And number one, it's, it, it's humility. Simply have a humble response to God's work, whatever He's doing, have a humble response to His work. And that's why the Bible says, receive the Word of God with what? Meekness. Receive the Word with meekness. And then walk in humility. Right? Philippians chapter 2. It says, do what? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Here's where it starts. The perspective of your mind is, here's humility. It's following the example of Christ. Then laid out in Philippians 2. I need to have that in my mind. I need to have a humble heart. And I need to have a humble attitude with whatever happens. I don't want to be um, a negative here all morning, but we don't know what's going to happen later today later this week. Um, we all, you know, understand and, and acknowledge the American dream and everything's supposed to go smooth. No. We need to be ready with what God has given. His resources. Be ready with that. So, along with a humble response, that's what we activate, a humble response, and then also a continual dependence on the Lord, especially in lieu of the thorn in the flesh, in lieu of the thorn that you have in your life. (laughs) Cultivate a continual dependence on Him. You know, with things like sickness, some of you... I don't know. Some of you, I don't know how you handle it. A chronic issue in your life that's physically just disabling, if you almost. Some of you have that. That's the thorn in the flesh. And yes, it's to keep you from exalting in yourself. Or, said another way, to keep you from trying to handle things in your own strength. And Paul's trust, his continual dependence, was evident in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Concerning this, I implored, I urged, I entreated the Lord. He prayed. Okay? He asked the Lord three times. To remove the thorn. What was the answer? Nope, not going to... No! There was an answer. It wasn't no. It wasn't nothing said. It was said in the next verse. We'll get there in a second. (laughs) But before we move on, I want you to notice. He asked three times. And if you'll study Christ in his prayer life, guess what Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane? Right? Prayed three times. He's following the example of the Lord. And it wasn't, oh, Lord, bless me. And then come back later. Uh, Please bless me, Lord. No, he's 
really, I believe, pouring out his heart. It's a thorn in the flesh for crying out loud. He's asking God, imploring God, please remove this. And Jesus' pattern of prayer in the garden wasn't just a bless us and bless this mess and help me out of this. He sweated, what? Teardrops of blood. So, notice what he did not do. I know this is um, thinner ice here, but Paul did not call out the demon. Got it? And you, you turn on a lot of the TV preachers and they're calling out the demons. That's not the pattern of prayer in the New Testament. Uh, he didn't command the demon. Didn't do that. He prayed to the Lord. He implored the Lord. His focus in prayer is the Lord. Okay? And God said to him, look at verse 9. And he said to me, he communicated, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. And that sounds, uh, you know, again, here's, we could read, just reading this on the surface of things, it seems like, oh, well, that's a spiritual answer. That sounds good. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's the Lord who gave him this answer. Therefore, the Lord's answer is the best answer. Now, I don't, I don't always get that. I don't always understand that. Why? Because it's same with you. We don't always understand these things. But His grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. We've got to ram that into our brains. God's grace is sufficient. Okay? So, number two, absorb what He's given you. Or if you like better, absorb what He's promised. It's His promise. Here's God's soul exclusive remedy for dealing with a thorn in the flesh. My grace is sufficient. So letter A, receive His grace. That sounds also very simple. But we need to say it. Why? Because a lot of us in this room right now maybe have not even received His grace in salvation. You're still playing church. So let's not play church. Let's not act like everything's cool on a sunny morning. Let's let's come to faith in Christ and understand His plan in the gospel. Receive His grace. He gives grace. That's what He does. He gives grace. It's not that you earn it. That's not it at all. He gives grace. He gives undeserving sinners grace for salvation and moves on to sanctification. Just as a condemned sinner needs grace for rescue, for deliverance, for salvation, for pardon from sins, so too, born-again Christians need grace for their growth and maturity. When you were saved... I hope there's great joy in your heart when you got saved. I hope there continues to be great joy in your life because you're saved.
listen, life is not the bowl of cherries, as we say, as you walk the Christian life. There's challenges and tough stuff that happens. Tougher than you can imagine. And we need God's grace. Okay? So, born-again Christians need grace for their growth and maturity. It's a constant, ongoing need. Not a Sunday morning, not an Easter Sunday, not a Christmas. No, a constant need for God's grace to welcome that in your life. This is the gift of sanctification. It's God's work. Sanctification. That's God's work to make you uh, set apart from the things of the world. And to make you more like Christ. And sanctification happens. It's God's work. But it, sanctification happens the more as we read and study God's Word, as we serve in the local church, as we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as we pray, as we worship, as we have fellowship, as we, when I spoke last time, as we partake in communion. And in communion, we confess our sins. All those things help bring about God's work of sanctification. So, have you received His grace? Have you received the gift of God? And see, there's a, there's hundreds, thousands, millions of people in our country alone that are continuing to play church being a good person and climbing up a ladder of good works and thinking God's going to weigh out the good works from the bad works. Baloney! Baloney. It's only by God's grace and that of believing in Jesus Christ. Letter B. You receive His grace, then you start glorying in His grace. Glory in His grace. Why? Because He said it. My grace is what? Sufficient. What does that word mean? It means enough. It means adequate. Because His grace is sufficient for who? You. It's sufficient for you, just like it was for Paul. Nothing can be added to make it better. Oh, I wish I would learn that. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's so easy to think that, uh, I did something extra special. God's gonna shine down on me. He's already shown down on His beloved Son. Amen? And when you have faith in Jesus Christ, you receive the package deal. His grace is Sufficient. So, we glory in that perfect work. That's what we ought to glory in, is His perfect work. We do not glory in a half-baked work. (laughs) We glory in a perfect work, because it's perfect. Thank you. His power is perfected in weakness. Now, Um, This is a statement from Paul David Tripp. 
and I'm going to say it again at the end, it's important. Our admission of our weakness, because that's what we have to do, we need to remember, we don't have it all together. Our admission of our weakness serves as the doorway to His power. Our admission of weakness serves as the doorway to His power. So we we want to glory in His grace. Let us see, then let's display it. Let's display grace effect. The effect of grace, let's display it. How do we do that? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my... Say it. Thank you. Someone, you stay with me here. Weakness. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Who made that up? We're in America. Come on. Grab a hold of the horns, man, and do it. <laughs> See the, the, the problem we have? Uh, how we've grown up in this life, in this country. Self-sufficient. Strong. Good looking. All that stuff. It, it comes and it's all building towards exalting who? Myself. See, this is why the gospel is radical. And this is why we need to be understanding this whole topsy-turvy approach that Jesus gives us. So we display the, the effect of grace in our lives as we boast about our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So, let's ask a question here. As you're journeying on in this life, no matter what age you are, are, as we're journeying on, are you thinking that, hey, I'm getting better, I'm getting stronger, I'm overcoming this and that? And that. Well, that's, that's good, but it's subtle, right? It's a subtle thing because what quickly joins into that is my pride. My pride just hitches onto that. Are you seeing more clearly as you journey on your desperate need for grace? It's either one or the other. Either you're hungry and thirsting for grace, the grace of God that not only saves you, but sustains you all throughout life. We want His power to dwell in us. By the way, before I forget, Paul's thorn in his flesh did not put him on the bench. You follow me? Didn't put him on the bench in the game of life. Point number three. We've looked at this uh, best conditioning program ever. We agree to God's terms. We absorb what God's promised. And number three, we realign ourselves to his control. Why? Because I, even as a believer in Jesus, my perspective can still go off road 
in my own pow- with my own power, with my own ability and my thinking, my experience, all that. So realign yourself to God's control, the fact that God is sovereign over our lives. And especially young people, you might not understand that right now, but keep reminding yourself of that, that God is in control. If he's, if he's God, what does that mean? If he's God, does that mean he's truly creator and maker and sustainer, that he holds all things in the, in the power of his, with the power of his hand? Hebrews chapter 1. That's where, why we need to define God from the Bible and say, here's who God says He is. And let's go with that. Not my perception of Him. Because in my perception, apart from the Scriptures, I will make God into my own image. And that's not good. So number three, realign yourself to his control with his perspective on life. I've mentioned this before in messages in Sunday school. The more we are taking on the perspective of Scripture on our eyes to look through life through God's lenses of Scripture, the better off we are. So um, each of these three subpoints under number three might sound like um, Norman Vincent Peale. Like you can do it. You can do it. No, I, and what I want to say to start with as we look at these subpoints is this is only, only by God's grace that you can do this. Letter A, seize the opportunities. What does that mean? You look at verse 10. Therefore, because of what he's already said, therefore I am well content with weaknesses. Don't try to um, shy away from the weaknesses of your life. Paul is saying he's boasting in them. Why? So that the power, the true power of Christ can dwell within. If you're, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you. That's not just a... A motto that we use here at church, you know, hey, just remember, no, live that way. Understand that in your life as you face tonight, as you face tomorrow and the rest of the week. Understand, Christian, that the Holy Spirit lives within you and allow Him to lead and guide. So, display, you know, seize the opportunities. Display God's power through the weakness. Along with grace, boast about the weaknesses. And by God's grace, be content. That's a hard one. I, it's like I look at that and read that and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, that's the power of Christ in Paul, isn't it? That's the power of Christ helping him to be content, be well content with his weaknesses. Number, letter B, rise above the circumstances. Paul lists these uh, these categories. He says, here's weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. These, this is what he's content with. 
So no matter the circumstances of life, Paul shows the example of rising above that. He has not escaped it. He's rising above it and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to press on to know Christ and know His grace in my life. And then number, letter C. Letter C, live out the gospel motto. What's the gospel motto here in this passage? It's there in verse 10 at the end. When I am weak, then I am strong. Okay? So, it really sounds like Paul is saying, no matter what happens, no matter what I run into accident-wise, surprise-wise, sickness, disease, no matter what, the power of Christ allows him to rise above and take flight, overcome despair, depression, disappointment, etc. All because God is in control. God is in control. Are you trusting him? Now, I can say this. I want to say it out of exhortation and encouragement. But I know I will go out today through the week and I will face more challenges. God help me with your grace to walk with you through it. God help you, each one of you who are believers in Jesus to keep trusting in His grace for your need, for dealing with the thorn of the, in the flesh. When we say God is in control, let's think of this. God will not forsake you. Is that, is that a, a maybe? Or is that a definite? Lock it in. It's a definite. God will not forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13. Check it out. Will God fail you? Sometimes it seems like He fails me when I've got my mind on who? Me and my pride. And I, I can blame God. You can blame God. He didn't, He, he didn't come through. It just proves that you or I have our minds in the wrong place. Is God true? If He's true, that means He is trustworthy. We've got people that you sit right next to here in this auditorium that have what we might label as a stake of a thorn in their flesh. And you and I might just have the splinters. We need to just remember to be praying for them. Those who recently have lost a spouse, remember them. It's something that... um, They need your prayers and encouragement. So, we want to realign ourselves to His control with His perspective, seize the opportunities, letter A, rise above the circumstances, letter B, and live out the gospel motto, when I'm weak. And by the way, when means whenever, whenever I am weak. It's, listen, 
It's nothing to be ashamed of. Unless it's sin. (laughs) And you're trying to say, well, that's my thorn in the flesh. I say it again, baloney. You get consequences for wrongdoing. Choose not to sin. Say, Lord, help me. Help me to stay away from that. Because I get tripped up real easy with that. Help me to walk with you. So, your weakness is nothing to be ashamed of. Willingly admit your weakness, but stop trying to put your strength, your strength on display. For God or for others. Just stop trying to put your strength on display. It needs to be the power of Christ in you. And look, living out the gospel motto, when I'm weak, then I'm strong, is the same kind of response that most all of us as believers have had. I had to give a, a response to the gospel call when I was 19 years old. I knew I had heard God's word. I came under conviction of my sin because I had heard God's word. I knew that I was weak and helpless to save myself and make myself right with God. I knew that. And then later on I learned that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Listen, because of our sin, we are weak and helpless. And now as believers, God has said, it's, you know, uh, you're weak. Even as believers, even as children of God, you're weak. And to protect you, (laughs) and to cause you to value the strength that only He can give, the weakness that He gives... They're not, and this is hard, again, I know, they're not to be impediments to your good life. They're not in the way of His loving plan for you, these thorns, these weaknesses, these troubles. They're not signs of His lack of care. They're not indicators of the failure of His promises but rather they are tools that God uses. Tools of His amazing grace. And by the way, they're all to you, they're all used to protect you from you. You follow that? They're used to protect you from you and the demonstration of your reliance on yourself. To keep you from thinking that you're capable. That you're strong enough. Listen, we've got to wrap it up here, but you, you, we cannot miss the, the quandary that this is. We cannot miss the paradox that is before us. Right? Again, being good, strong Americans... And our feelings, 
they keep leading us to think and say, I can handle it. I got, I got this. I don't know when that became a, a familiar saying. I got this. I can handle this. But that's what we get to thinking initially before we think of the gospel motto, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Let's learn to turn that around and say, first and foremost, when I'm weak, then I'm strong because of Christ's power dwelling in me. So your weaknesses, as Paul David Tripp wrote, your weaknesses are not the big danger that you should fear. What you should really fear are your delusions of strength. When you tell yourself that you are strong, you quit being excited about God's rescuing, transforming, and empowering grace. And Paul knew his weakness was, here it is again, the doorway to real power, power that only God can and willingly does supply. God, our great master and shepherd, Our strength and shield is there, welcoming our prayers, welcoming our cries, welcoming our trust, welcoming our weakness, welcoming our praise. God, help us. My grace is sufficient for you. Let's live with that today, okay? Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, we thank you that your word is clear. I think especially of Psalm 18. Lord, you are our rock and you are our strength. We put our trust in you. Lord, forgive us for the habit that we have of trying to display our own strength in our own ways. Lord, help us to remember this passage and the truth that you, you give us the, the challenges. You allow them to come. You, you, uh, allowed these difficulties in our lives. And Lord, help us to learn about handling the thorns in the flesh and be alert to, uh, the enemy trying to trip us up. Help us to boast in you and to boast in the fact that you are in control. Lord, do your good work in the lives of these dear people. And we pray, Lord, for those who are here who have not yet responded to faith in Christ. Lord, please help them to see uh, that they are they stand condemned before you right now. And that with faith in Christ, they are pardoned and freed from their, their sentence. Be glorified in that, we pray, Lord, and save souls. And Lord, as Christians, please help us in walking with you today and this week to give you glory and praise that you, uh, is deserving of you. And now to him,
who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. and You're dismissed.